Well, welcome to HVF again. It is good to see you. If you're a guest, we are glad that you are with us today. We're glad if you're not a guest, too. It's good to have everybody back. And if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. We're going to continue in our study on the seven realities in this series. We've been looking at the third reality called real relationships and taking some time and just going through that slowly in the last several weeks. Uh, if you don't have notes, uh, Brian is coming around right now. Just raise your hand. You want some note pages. Uh, those may have slipped by a few of you. Just keep your hand in the air. Wave it like you just don't care. And then uh, Brian will come by and give that to you, and you can reflect on the 80s, and you'll be happy. All right, so um, all right. So Acts chapter 17. And by the way, you know, that was a rough rain this morning, but it's good to have it. So I think God gave us a good long week. My wife prayed for no rain, and it, right, up to the, right up to the time of our party, and then a little bit extra, and now rain. So hopefully all the farmers got their crops in, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of a small window, so, uh, but I hope everybody, the fields are wet, and it heated up to like July temperatures, so hopefully everybody could get everything in. And now I hope God waters it, and it grows marvelously, so... Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to quit stalling any second now. It's good to see you guys. So in your Bibles, Acts 17, we're going to pick up where we were. We, now, we've been talking about these realities. The first reality was real people must be found in real churches. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. And everyone is welcome. I'm sorry. Everyone is wanted and everybody is one. Our second reality is real Christians are Christ-like. They reflect diversity. They reproduce spiritually. And uh, we saw how the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch in uh, Acts 11.26. They respond cheerfully. We talked about how disciples gave, right? From Antioch, they sent relief to the saints in Jerusalem, to those people who really looked down upon them and uh, debated whether they should even you know, get the gospel or not. Uh, they ended up sending money to those folks to help them because God changed their heart. They had good hearts, and God used them to give back to them. And uh, they were full of grace in Acts 11, 27 through 30. So we saw that. And then we came to our third reality and uh, started rolling a little slower. And we saw that real relationships reach God. We talked about the woman who had an issue of blood who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment in Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. And then we saw how those real relationships reach families. So last week on Mother's Day, we spent time talking about how people like Lydia, right, in the Philippian jailer, uh, endured difficult opposition and discomfort, but made a big difference in their families' lives as they followed Christ. And ultimately, God used them to establish a church that by the time we got to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, when Paul came there, he, he welcomes the bishops and deacons. That church was uh, incredibly prosperous, even though it was born through difficult times, just like childbirth. There's always a labor and an intensity, and then there's fruit that comes after that. So we enjoyed learning about that, and that growth didn't come without difficult circumstances that included uh, imposters and, um, you know, the great cost that Paul and Silas bore uh, with great joy, I might add, uh, in the Philippian jail. And so uh, that is what it took to really give birth. And so those are authentic. Those aren't like make-believe stories. Those aren't make-believe um, uh, accounts. Those, those are historical uh, accounts. Those really happened. And these folks were able to, by God's grace, endure, and God was able to do what only he can do, and that is provide uh, life in the heart of people who are, are lost and then bring fruit from that. So this, this morning as we wrap up, I'm going to just kind of put the dot on the end of this point on 
on dealing with real relationships and how they reach people, how they reach out, to, how they reach at God. Actually, we actually we touch God. Obviously, God touches us through the gospel, but we touch Him when we come to Him by faith, and how we are able to see our families reconciled to Him, and how that makes a difference in the culture. And so, really, just to kind of wrap that up this morning, we're going to see how real relationships reach people, and uh, how they reach uh, families, and then. The third thing is that we're going to see how they reach relationships, um, how these relationships, I'm sorry, reach cultures, communities, and cities, and countries. So I'm not going to get into each one of those caveats in particular, but I am going to just start with the topic of culture, and uh, and we'll pick up on that a little bit more as we go. So so uh, as we go uh, in the text in Acts chapter 17 this morning, we're going to move along. Uh, but I want you to remember what we saw in verse 40. I didn't have a lot of time in that last week uh, in chapter 16 and verse 40. It says, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And they, <clears throat> and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. So after Paul ran interference for the local um, New Testament church with the authorities, he kind of set a pick for them. Uh, once they were at liberty, they from the persecution that they had faced, they were able then to go forward in faith, and they were comforted by Paul and all the saints at Lydia's house. They had a little house meeting. Everybody was encouraged. And then, of course, Paul headed out to continue to work in Europe. And so that's where we find ourselves in verse seven or chapter 17 and verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, let's stand together in honor of God's Word. Let's read verses 1 through 9, and then we will break this text down this morning. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis... And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that his and this I'm sorry, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also." whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is uh, one, or I'm sorry, that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for these uh, accounts and Lord, how they can be applied to our lives. Lord, I pray as we look into the word this morning that you would be glorified. I want to thank you, Lord, for all that has gone on today, Lord, to prepare uh, just to worship and all the ABFs this morning, uh, Lord, the things that have happened already in the children's ministry and are happening now with those that are serving our lambs, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd be glorified. Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, you just bless uh, your word as the rain comes down outside. It reminds us of the, the incredible water of the word. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, it cleanses us and, uh, and Lord, continues to nourish our souls as we serve you. In uh, holiness and purity, we thank you, we praise you, we ask a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're looking at real relationships and how they reach cultures, communities, and cities, and countries. And, 
And uh, real relationships impact culture. If you're in your, looking at your outline, that's the first thing that we're going to see. They impact culture. And before I go much further, I want to define the word culture. We often use it <clears throat> when we are talking about a lot of things in our society, but we don't often think about really what it is. And Merriam-Webster says the, the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group, also the characteristic features of everyday existence, such as diversions or way of life shared by people in a place or time. I left that on your notes there. That's a word that we use a lot in church. You know, we talk about culture. We use it in our society. There's a lot of distinctions in culture. We all often say in our common vernacular that there's popular culture. Um, I don't know how popular popular culture is, but that's what they call it anyway. Maybe it should be unpopular culture. Uh, there's southern culture, right? That southern hospitality and that culture that comes from that. There's a corporate culture. A lot of companies, you know, they market their culture, whatever that might be, you know, and uh, and everyone establishes that that set of beliefs and social forms. What you really believe ultimately is reflected in how you behave, and that's kind of the shorthand of what culture is about. People behave a certain way because they believe something. And uh, when it comes to real relationships that reach people, it's important to be sensitive to culture so you can share the gospel. Right, so for the context of what we're talking about today and the, the stories that we've been reading concerning Paul, Paul was very sensitive to culture. Right, When he went to the jail, for whatever reason, uh, he was very sensitive to what the needs were of that Philippian jailer. And, and he knew right, that God wanted that man saved, so he just stayed there. Even though he, was legally, he could have been making his legal arguments before he ever went to jail. Right? He could have protested, but he didn't. He went along. He, and not to get along, he went along to get the gospel where it needed to go. And then when it was the right time, he shared the gospel. He was very sensitive as you go through Acts to culture. He understood culture. He understood the different nuances in the Roman Empire, the people groups, the different things that were going on. And as Christians, that's important that we're that way. Um, uh, we're not noted for being that way oftentimes, especially Americans. We kind of do our own thing and let everybody else do their thing, and, and that's all good and fine. But when it comes to getting the gospel where it needs to go, you really do need to be sensitive to culture. There was a, there was a missionary named Don uh, Richardson, him and his wife Carol. They risked their lives to share the gospel in the 1960s with these people called the Sawi people in uh, Papua New Guinea. The Sawi were, were uh, headhunting cannibals. And uh, what they would do is they would fatten their victims with friendship <laughs> before slaughtering them. I mean, maybe you've met some of those people. But uh, this isn't just like stabbing you in the back. I mean, this is literally stabbing you in the back. So they would fatten up their friends. They would make friends with someone. And once they got good and plump, you know, then that was it. It was curtains. And then they ate them. And that was a big, that was a big deal. This is no joke. The Sawi people of Papua New Guinea, you can look it up. Well, along comes Don and, and Carol, and they have their little six-month-old son, and they don't know it when they arrive, but the, a, a baby in that culture actually represents peace. And so they're bringing in their six-month-old baby. Uh, the missionaries, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the people, the, the tribal people, take to them very well, um, and they get some inroads. But over time, there's jealousy that develops between the different uh, members of the tribe and the different sects of that, that people group and the Sawi people group and uh, Papua New Guinea, and so then they start intertribal fighting over the influence of Don Richardson. So that's not good. Um, and so he threatened, he says, listen, I'm out of here. If you guys keep this up, I'm leaving, and, uh, you know, we're out of here. And it was about that time when one of the elders from another tribe came to 
the tribe that he was associated with directly and offered a child. And as that, that the, the deal was in that culture that we're, when that child, as long as that child was alive, there would be peace between the tribes. And so the child, of course, would hopefully grow into adulthood and there would be peace for, you know, Lord willing, 70 years, right, at least. And so that was the custom, that, was the, that they adhered to it, that was kind of the law of the tribal land, so to speak. Well, seeing this, as actually I believe it was Don's wife, actually, that first clued in and said, wait a minute, you know, him and his wife realized that this is, this is the gospel, right? God gave his son to bring peace to the earth. So they started right there. Before that time, they had a difficult time, uh, you know, really finding inroads to the gospel. These people found virtue, right, in lying to people and killing them. And that was really virtuous in their culture. So culturally, you come into this culture and you're like, wow, I see nothing redeemable about it. And there wasn't. I mean, you can't say, well, you know, that's just your thing. You know, you do you and I'll do me and we'll all get along. You know, you might get eaten doing that there, right? So that's not going to work. Right? You can't just say, well, love Jesus and kill your neighbor. Right? That's the opposite of what Jesus would teach. And so uh, they needed to find a way to get in. And it would look like, you know, in that kind of culture where it's virtuous to lie and kill people, um, you know, that there's no inroads. But you know what? After studying the culture, there was inroads. And they found this, this, uh, this way. And then, of course, many of you probably already know, he, Don wrote a book called Peace Child. And uh, it became famous. And so the neat thing about that is in 2012 was the 50th year anniversary of, uh, of that whole situation and the, and the gospel going to these people groups. And Don and his son and his brothers, his, or his sons, all of his sons, went over. And Don's still alive, I guess. And they went over in 20, at least he was in 2012. And there was like 3,000 of these people that come, come in and and uh, of the of the Sawi people and rejoicing over the 50th anniversary of when they came to know Jesus as a group, as a people group as a whole people group I mean isn't that outstanding you know that is that was because a guy was actually looking for ways to get the gospel where it needed to go now as you read the book of Acts and you watch you watch Paul right and we saw how one minute he's like man where am I going and God says you're going over here to Macedonia there's a guy waving. Next thing you know, he's over in Macedonia, and there's no guys, so he just works with what he's got, looking for keys to the culture, and he gets in there, and God blesses it, and it's incredible, and now he's off moving again, and, uh, and he's going down to Thessalonica, and, uh, and he's on the road. He's looking for opportunities, and that's what we should be doing. We should be, we've been all year, been talking about, really for a couple years now, intentional gospel outreach. We have been focusing on being intentional about getting the gospel where it needs to go. And are we praying? Are we looking for opportunities? Are we, are we attempting to find keys to the culture? I hope we are, because that's what God wants us to do. And so the story uh, that we just heard about the Sawi people and keys to the culture, that has been repeated over and over and over and over and over. There's missionary story after missionary story after missionary story, right? In Africa, in Asia, in Papua New Guinea, you know, in America, where the gospel seems to be, even right here, you know, the great revivals that came to this country. I don't know if many of you know, but John and Charles Wesley came to the United States. They went to Georgia. They went back to England, and they said, man, that is, those God-forsaken people, those colonists, they're, they're, forget it. They are hard-hearted. There's no way. And you know what happened after that? George Whitfield shows up. And uh, preaches the paint off the wall. Next thing you know, everybody's repenting. There's revival breaks out. 
You know, and he gets saved. Or no, he was already saved, but he, they, you know, revival breaks out in the colonies. You get the first great awakening. That's even before the Revolutionary War. And all of that started because people were faithful with the gospel. People were faithful with the gospel. There was a time when it seemed like this nation was hopeless. Maybe today when you look around, you might feel the same way. What makes the difference? Well, faith-filled people, right? Not, it's not about them. It's about us, man. We've got to touch the hem of his garment. We've got we to gotta reach out to God by faith and get a hold of who he is because we need help. We need healing. But it's not just about us. It's really not about us at all. It's about how God can make us whole so we can help make others whole. That's what God does. And he does it through common people. And he starts in our families, right? Starts by healing marriages. Starts by healing uh, families up so that they can be useful for the kingdom of God. And so as we, as we move about our communities, our cities, our cultures, right? Because cultures are found everywhere. And even in Harrisonville, there's different cultures, right? And in the, even in this area, there's a kind of a social cast in, in Cass County, right? You kind of have your high end and you got some middle end and you got some low end, right? It might not, not be so racially diverse, but certainly socially there's a diversity here. And, uh, and so, you know, those are cultures that we move in and out of. And uh, sometimes you don't even recognize that. And so those are important things. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, as we move through communities, cities, cultures, and, and we're sensitive to culture, that doesn't mean we embrace, you know, everything in a culture, right? We don't embrace treachery and murder. Uh, Don Richardson didn't do that in, uh, with the Sawi people. He didn't say, oh, you know, I, I want to be so inclusive. I'm, I'm just going to join you in this whole murder pro- program. I'm just going to lie to you and stab you in the back. That sounds great, and then I'm going to eat you, right? And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So t- to be sensitive to culture doesn't mean you necessarily join it, right? You've you got to know where you stand to start with. Don Richardson knew where he stood. I hope you know where you stand. That doesn't mean we embrace all that. What kind of missionary would Don be if he had went out and said, it's okay to murder your friends because I, you know, I just want to be included in your group. He and his wife Carol may not have lived very long because they would have been good eating. So anyway, you know, today there's corporate Marxism and globalism paving the way for an ever-growing authoritarian governance. And, and um, it's the antithesis of liberty that we find in Christ. And that's called, well, in a cultural word, that's a spirit the Bible calls of Antichrist. And you didn't hear it here first, right? Uh, actually, this is old news. First John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So even in the first century, that was very well known. 1 John 4, 3, John says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. That was, that was 19 plus hundred years ago when that was written. For many deceivers are entered into the world, John, uh, 2 John 1, 7 says, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and Antichrist. So there's, uh, this isn't talking about the Antichrist, right? Everyone today is concerned about the Antichrist. Well, he'll make himself known when it's time. But 
at the reality, there's a spirit of Antichrist as well, right? And it goes against Christ. It denies Christ exists. And so a, a culture of Antichrist is simply a culture that is against Christ. And it's, it's more subtle than you might think. When you think about Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist, you sort of think of like this, you know, gnarly end-time scenario. Uh, maybe you don't think about how subtle it can be. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than some of y'all, and, and I can remember when our culture, I'm talking about American culture as a whole, was not as anti-Christ as it is today. And I just want to roll a clip so you can kind of get just a little taste, just a little, little easy. This is easy. This isn't going to scare you. No blood, no guts. Just a little taste of what I'm talking about. Go ahead and roll that. Last question. Um, of course, you weren't in Florida. A bit of a controversial moment, Yo Romero, and I know this is a very positive thing. I'm not trying to rain on that parade. Quite frankly, I don't feel like it was as controversial as some may, may think, but I just wanted to get your take on what happened. No, it wasn't controversial at all, but the reality is this. You just won the biggest fight of your career, you know? Um, America doesn't want to hear your thoughts on Jesus, and, you know, keep that stuff at home. Religion, politics, all that stuff. When you're out there fighting and you're being interviewed, they want to hear about the fight. It's awesome that you love Jesus. Love Jesus all you want. Just don't have to do it publicly. You don't think he said what a lot of people thought he said, right? I know he didn't say that. Um, I know he didn't say it. Everybody knows he didn't say that. Um, yeah, I mean, pe people react to everything. But if you would just keep that stuff, you know, talk about your fight. You know, people don't want to be preached to. I'm just saying. So, Dana White, you know, he's, he's, uh, he heads up the UFC. And that's, that's a pretty old clip. That's like 2015. Um, and so, a culture of Antichrist is simply a culture that is against Christ. And it's more subtle than you may think. So, in America, like, like maybe in Philippi... The spirit of Antichrist is dictated more by the love of money, right, than religious zeal. Uh, you know, Dana White, if, if I was going to talk to him, if I brought him up, sat him in a chair, you know, and we were going to have an interview, I don't think he would say, oh, I'm not Antichrist. You know, you can do whatever you want at home. I'm all for whatever you want to do at home. Just don't do it publicly and don't do it in my ring. You know, don't do it in front of everybody. Why? Well, we know why, Dana. He said it. Americans don't want to hear about Jesus Christ, they want to hear about the fight. Well, I think he's right, for the most part. Many Americans don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. They would rather hear about the fight. I, for one, hey, Dana, I want to hear what the fighter has to say about Jesus. He can thank his trainer. He can thank his mother. He can thank his friends. He can thank his sponsors. He can thank everybody, but he can't thank Jesus Christ? Well, no, because that's religion, right? And so you see there's a wall that gets put up. It's subtle. But it, it, that's, you know, that's exactly what happens. And before long, uh, the ability, the liberty, the freedom to speak openly about Jesus is exactly what we're reading in the book of Acts. It, it gets, uh, it's not always just overtly, we hate Christ. In Philippi, it was, well, hey, you're, you're cutting in on our... You can, you can preach Jesus as long as it profits us. 
I guarantee you, preaching Jesus after you won a fight, made money for Dana White, he'd be all about it. So what's he really worshiping? Well, we know what he's worshiping. And so, you know, that's, and I'm not mad at Dana. He doesn't know. When I was lost, I was just like that. I was blind. When you're, the Bible tells us that. When you're lost, you're blind to the gospel. It's not, don't get mad at Dana and write a bunch of articles. That's what lost people do. What Dana needs is the gospel. He needs to listen to what those guys were saying. And so, um, but, but, you know, you understand what I'm saying. It's fine for Dana to be blind. And at the end of the day, it just shows you that I think Dana's probably onto some things. I think he's right. There's a lot of people in America that don't want to hear the gospel. And it's our job, nonetheless, to get, it, get the gospel to them. And we've got to be just aware of American culture as Dana White is. And we've got to understand how to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. Because if it gets there too late, people miss it. And then they spend eternity in hell. So as we consider culture, consider the cultural differences between those who were born without technology streaming into their cranium 24-7. And those who didn't grow up with that constant uh, barrage of information, the bombardment of the tree of knowledge of good and of evil at your fingertips. The way we view the world is so much different because the advent of streaming technology and the acquisition of that information, right? Before technology, you could get information only through limited sources. Like I had to go to my parents, you know, to, to learn something. I had to go to school to learn something, right? There were institutions set up uh, both in the family and in the culture to gain knowledge. And there were doors that would open or doors that would shut based on merit, hopefully. And you would be able to go in and out of those doors based on your, your, your you know, acumen. And you could just go through that and, and go forward and go as far as you wanted to go, Lord willing. But now with the advent of technology, you can get as much, almost as much knowledge as you want. You don't know if it's right or wrong, but you can get all that you want. And it's your reality anyway, right? We've already talked about that in previous messages. It's your fantasy, whatever you want. It's at your fingertips. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. If you want to be a dog, start barking like a dog. You're a dog because you think you're a dog. So absolute, absolute truth, empirical evidence no longer matters. You can do what you want to do. And it messes with your mind, messes with your soul. And, uh, and it gets us far, far away from the truth. And so there's a cultural shift. And it's important that, that people don't just throw up their hands in the air and Wave them like they just don't care, right? They gotta, they gotta, they got. We gotta be sensitive to where people are at. That doesn't mean we join in and get stupid, but at the end of the day, we gotta, we gotta figure out, you know, what is gonna penetrate that culture. Ultimately, what's gonna penetrate the culture? You know, Andrew Ong mentioned when he was here at Vision Conference on that Sunday morning. He's like, "There's a culture. There's times when even Christians, we just, we just don't care." I think we get full, full of information, full of knowledge, full of whatever, full of it. And then next thing you know, you just don't care. Oh, God, help us care. Because if you don't care, if I don't care, I won't share. And you got to care. It starts in the heart. It really does. It starts in the heart. At the heart of the discussion of culture is a desire for the Christian to deliver the gospel to those who have not yet received it. Sometimes culture can seem to be in opposition to the gospel, but a wise Christian will use the great commandment to penetrate the hearts of men by finding keys to that culture. Now, in 2002, when we were planting HBF, I I was reading every book you could find on how to win people and plant churches. Um, 
I was trained in an awesome, I mean incredibly trained really, in discipleship and a philosophy, missions philosophy, and that's what I was using, that's what we used, that's what we're using now. We're still doing what I, we started with. We're making disciples, that's what the Bible teaches. But I didn't really have like practical church planning experience, and I didn't have a lot of people around me that had that, so I, I was reading books, that's what you got to do. You know, today I'd probably get on the internet, right, and start searching. So, uh, but the internet was really slow back then. You know, it was like, remember that? You had to wait. It had that weird noise that went through your modem. <laughs> Some of you guys don't know what a modem is. <laughs> and then you're like on, you know. And so, and then you wait an hour to, to read something. All right, so so I'm reading the, the purpose-driven whatever church, the, the Church of Irresistible Influence, how to you know build a bridge of the culture and all that, and so I'm you know I'm, I'm meditating on all this stuff and I'm thinking about it and you know we're just doing what we can and can and what we do. Dave was there. We're loading the truck and or loading the trailer and unloading the trailer and doing all this stuff over at the school and it was just it was a good time. So I'm out in I'm out, I'm out in Ellis, Kansas, visiting my buddy David, uh, <clears throat> my buddy David whose last name just left <laughs> my mind. Thompson, thank you. I'm getting old, thank you. So, just that was a that was a preview of what's to come. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm visiting my buddy Dave Thompson, and um, and if you're my good friend, don't be offended if I forget your name. Okay. So, so I'm visiting him, and, and I'm over in Ellison, and uh, I'm thinking about all these things I've read, like you know, and I, I I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's out here planting a church in Ellis. It's a different culture. And it is. And so I'm wondering how he's faring out there. And, uh, and I'm visiting with him. I'm, on the, I'm out there doing something. I don't remember what project we're working on. And I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking we're going to get in this deep philosophical discussion about, you know, church planting and church replanting and how we're going to, you, know, you know. So, Dave, tell me, <clears throat> you know, what's your thoughts on the best philosophy for church planting and reaching people? You know, and I'm like waiting for him to, you know, give me this deep answer. He he went to Bible college and went to Bible Institute at our church. I mean, so he's double he's double loaded, man. He's got degrees on both ends, you know. And I'm like, what do you think, Dave? And he just looks at me. And if you know Dave Thompson, this guy's an evangelist. I mean, if there's a if there's anybody that's an evangelist, this guy's an evangelist. And he and he he just looks at me like kind of strange, and he goes, uh, "Well, love." Love's the best tool I know to reach people. <laughs> I just was like, as soon as he said it, I just felt naked and ashamed, man. I, was like, I just went to the judgment seat of Christ. I was just like, wow, why didn't I think of that? You know. Now, I, intellectually, of course, I knew that, but I really, as soon as he said it, it was like the Holy Spirit of God was saying, Brian, uh, don't overthink this thing. Because in the Bible, Dave was absolutely right. I started running all the scriptures, you know, you start running all the not, the scriptures through your head, and you're like, duh. So there's a reason when you hear me say, love God and love people. I ain't just saying that because it's a quip. I really believe that. It, God really, he really set that in on me because that is the greatest way to accomplish the mission. That's the greatest way, actually, to, to do what we're talking about to this morning, which is cross-culture, to penetrate to- culture. When you're being intentional about getting the gospel where it needs to go, it's not being phony. The opposite of that. It's genuine. It's genuine compassion, genuine love that, that doesn't come from you. Right? I'm not like super compassionate, but God gives you that, right? Supernaturally. That's what the Spirit of God does in us. 
So we, you back up a sermon, right? And, and like you're still stuck on last week because your family's out of order. Well, what do you need? Well, you need some supernatural compassion, some love, so you can cross the culture to your wife or your husband or your kids. Now, again, you don't have to join in everything in the culture, <laughs> but you definitely need to find keys to the culture so you can communicate the love of Christ. And that's where the power of God's going to come from. And so there's some application to this. We often forget that love is the key cultural value of a Christian. I can't talk about Dana White, and I can't talk about the Sawi people, and I can't talk about... There's a lot of people that don't value love as a cultural uh, relevance. But we know as Christians, right, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the number one thing at the top is love, right? Love, joy, love. I mean, there's just some things that, that come with having Christ in you, and it's, it's part of our culture. Loving God and loving people is not just something we work at. It isn't, it's something we are. It's who we are. It is part of the culture of being in Christ. And so it's impactful when communicating the gospel. Now, 1 Corinthians 8, 3 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Just like when that lady reached out and touched the hem of his garment. She believed. She was healed. And she had to confess it publicly. And everybody knew it. When you love God, everybody knows it. That's what it says. I didn't, I didn't write that. That's what God says. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Why? Because you can't hide it. First John 2.15, But love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, okay, I get that. I don't have to be a Ph.D. in theology to watch Dana White and say, well, I think Dana White may not love Jesus. <laughs> And he's, he can tolerate Jesus at home as long as you don't tell him, as long as it's not after a UFC win, then he, he can tolerate Jesus, but he doesn't love Jesus. Why? Well, he loves the world. Now, Dana White, he can, that's where I expect him to be. But what you can't afford to have is a church full of people that are supposed to be loving God and loving people that actually love the world. And that is inconsistent, that's a reproach. And that will not advance the ball, right? That will not get us where we need to go. Because that won't change anyone's heart, won't change anyone's life, and it won't change culture. It won't change Cass County, and it certainly won't change our country. And it surely isn't going to propel us around the world. It starts with the heart. We've got to start with the right heart so we can get where we need to go. And if you study nothing else about culture, consider the way God... God's love is uniquely and divinely designed to penetrate the heart of humans at every, in every culture, even the UFC. I mean, Jesus Christ is able to go into any culture and penetrate the heart of man, no matter who it is, how hard it is. I personally know people who know people in China, in the Communist Party, that are born again. Now, if you just read the news, you would think that's not possible. Well, it's not easy, and maybe they're not alive anymore, but it is possible. Because it happens. Happens all the time. God goes places. I would not, would not doubt, and I don't know any of this firsthand, but I would not doubt if God has somehow not penetrated some people in North Korea. I'm talking in the upper echelon of the, the government over there. It's possible. Not only is it possible, it's probable. Because that's the God I serve. I mean, he gets places that nobody can go. It's amazing what he can do. Christians who have a real relationship with Christ point to give, give people opportunity to hear the gospel. Why? Because it's in their heart. 
Last week we saw the trouble that Paul received by those who suddenly became patriotic to Caesar when they realized they couldn't profit off of Jesus. And that's more what we are used to seeing here in the USA. However, there are many ministering, very religious in many ministering in very religious cultures who face religious objections to the preaching of Christ. So as Paul traveled from Philippi, he made his way through Amphipolis and Apollonia. And Apollonia was a key city located in modern Albania, which is an important, which had an important river that eventually silted over in 234 A.D. after an earthquake. But at the time of Paul's visit, this was a great center of philosophy. It was where Caesar Augustus, the first Roman Caesar, uh, came from. So that was his hometown. There was a lot going on there. And we're told nothing of the response or the lack thereof that Paul found there. He just moves along to the next city of Thessalonica, the synagogue of the Jews. Now, Judaism had made its way throughout the world from the time of Solomon. And this synagogue was probably a destination on Paul's heart. I'm sure Paul was aware of it, and that's probably why he was beelining his way to Thessalonica, as he often started with the Jews who had an understanding of God's word, and then he worked his way uh, you know, through the, the Jewish uh, believers, those that would respond, and then he would obviously go to the Gentiles because he is and was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so that was his custom. He'd go to the Jews, and, and we see here that, that uh, he established some things with the Jews. If you look in the text again, it says in verse 3 that Paul, verse 2, actually verse uh, 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So for three Saturdays, three Sabbath days, he is reasoning out of the Scriptures. He's taking that time, and he's, he's working with them. In, in uh, chapter 18 and verse 4, you'll see he does the same thing. He goes into the synagogue and he reasons with them, just like Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Right? He's going to come in and he's going to be reasonable. He's going to appeal to their knowledge of the Word of God. They're going to have an understanding of what he's talking about. He knows their culture. He knows their language. He knows their Bible. He is a doctor of the law. So he's going to come in and he's going to reason with them why Jesus Christ is indeed the Christ, why he is their Messiah, and he has come, he has died while he has risen again, and he is alive, and he promises to return. So he's going to lay all that out for them, and he's going to give them three opportunities to, to hear that. And, of course, that's what he did there in Thessalonica. That is his, his pattern. And so, and so he's giving them this opportunity to understand what Jesus Christ wants to do in their life. And so uh, he's looking for key men in key cities so he can establish uh, this key message of the gospel because he knows there needs to be key ministries and, and opportunities to accomplish the mission there in, in Europe. So what do we learn from our text here that we just saw in verses 2 and 4? In many ways, uh, they were very pleased to have a religion uh, and a religious tradition, but they didn't desire a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We see that Paul had a process for offering this gospel to them as he gave him these three opportunities. Now, why did he give him three opportunities? Well, I think it's very clear in the Word of God. In Numbers chapter 35 and verse 30, the Bible says, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses, but one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. So Paul, being a lawyer, had a legal reason to give them three opportunities. And later in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Paul understood the principle of having two or three witnesses, right? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. He gave him the witness of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Ghost. And he came and he bore witness to the reality of what the Scripture said. The witness is really in the Scripture. He was just setting it forth, giving them opportunity three times to receive that. Now, think about it. When you had Paul come to your synagogue in the first century, after the resurrection of Jesus, you're on trial. He's going to roll in there, and he's going to present the evidence, and now the person on trial is you. You might think that you're judging him and his message, and in a sense you are, but if you don't receive it, guess who's getting judged? Why? Because he's delivering the message, the good news. He's delivering the gift of of truth. Your Messiah has come. He has died on the cross for your sins. He is available to you right now by faith. Call upon the name of the Lord and get saved, and we'll baptize you over here. Uh, and and you will you will go on in newness of life, and I'll, you know we'll teach you from there, right? And he's going to lay all that out for them. And if they say no, well, just like their brethren in Jerusalem, for the most part, they've just rejected the gospel, and that's a sad thing. Of course, that went on until the 70 A.D. when they were all dispersed because God gave that witness in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost part in that first century, and then. After it was rejected in all of those parts, God ended up dispersing Israel until 1948. And so, <clears throat> I feel like I'm enlightened. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So by the time Paul was done with the synagogue, they had heard the witness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the Jews were willing to be, uh, hopefully, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, or they were guilty of rejecting the gospel, and the blood of the Lamb was on their hands. So Paul, of all people, understood the power of the Spirit of God to convict the hard-hearted religious Jew, because after all, that was him. We start off the book of Acts reading about him, Saul of Tarsus, consenting to the death of Stephen as he rejected the gospel himself and became uh, the one who ordained the, the martyrdom and the murder of Stephen. So Paul had no intention of putting new wine in old bottles. He was seeking disciples who would follow Jesus and be comfortable with obeying the gospel and taking the love of Christ to all who would receive it in Europe. He really wasn't trying to reform the synagogue. He was looking for those Jews who would get saved so they could continue to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And so, point three, Christians who have a real relationship with Christ will often be rejected by the religious community. Now, we see in verse four, if you look in the text there, it says, and some of them believed. Right? This is interesting. You'll get to the back of chapter 17, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to get into it in this ser- series, but you've heard me mention it before. In Acts 17, you get to the, the back end of that, and you see the same thing happens in Athens on Mars Hill. These people weren't religious. They were very, well, they were philosophical. And some of them believed. Some of them received, but many rejected, just like in the synagogue. This is the need of all men, is to have a relationship with Christ. And some of them were, were moved with envy, it says, some believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. I mean, there was quite a response in Thessalonica. But the Jews which believed not, but the Jews which believed not, those that would not believe, moved with envy, green-eyed envy. We're just, uh, Jamie Davis was just teaching in the Warriors this morning, the kids about Joseph, right? You remember that story? What happened to his brothers when he has this vision, this dream, and he says, hey, I'm your savior. I had this vision. I'm going to save everybody. And even his dad was like, shut your mouth, boy. What are you talking about? I ain't bowing down to you. Well, of course, Joseph, one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible, right? A picture of Jesus. What happened to him is his brothers get envious of him. And so that's exactly what happens. Paul comes and he preaches this incredible gospel and 
the Jews that have this tradition, this religious tradition, they're like, wait a minute. You can't be giving this stuff out for free. I mean, the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody? Come on, man. I can't believe that. You can't, I, I'm not going to receive that. And, then, of course, they became envious, and they took them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. You know, you know some of those fellows. And... Uh, they gathered a company, and they set the city on uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. It's interesting. You know, it's almost the same thing that happened up in Philippi is now happening in Thessalonica. I mean, what's up with Paul? If his methodology of love was really working, why are people throwing the cities upside down? Why are they burning cars in the street? I mean, what's going on? Hey, listen, beloved. People just don't want Jesus. Did Paul just go home with his tail between his legs and quit? No, he did not, and he would not. Paul, uh, Paul was, was going to go forward. The religious, the religious will often resent the influence of Jesus. The bulk of persecution that the church has faced from the first day until now has come at the hands of other religions. Many mischaracterize Christians as being crusaders, but that's not true. The Catholics were the crusaders. Christians have been martyred by the Catholics, by the Jews, uh, of course, in the first century. Pagan Rome did its number for the first ten Roman persecutions the first couple hundred years. Religious Romans, of course, to the dismay of many in the church today, uh, have, have, have contributed to literally millions of deaths throughout the, the uh, Inquisitions. And then Calvinists and Swingley. Those guys, John Calvin, Zwingli, yep. I mean, Zwingli, man, talk about, I think he, he must have knew the, the, uh, those folks down in Papua New Guinea because one minute they were his buddies and, you know, he's preaching their doctrine. Next minute he's putting rocks around their neck and throwing them over the bridge because they wouldn't, get, they wouldn't baptize their children until they were old enough to understand the gospel. So he threw them in the river. To keep Rome off his back. Didn't help because he ended up fighting him anyway and he got killed. But a lot of people are ignorant of history. They don't really know what, what has gone on and, and the cost. Even in America, a lot of people don't realize. The Bill of Rights, man, that, you know, who, you know who, who trumped that? It was Baptists because they were being persecuted right here in the good old colonies. They're like, you know what? Um, we would like a Bill of Rights, if at all possible, while we're doing this new thing, because <laughs> uh, we're, we're tired of getting persecuted. Now, it wasn't as bloody as Europe and all of that, for sure, but it was not easy. And so we live in a wonderful country where people are free to express, or we're free to express the truth. I mean, nobody's coming in here today, at least right now, and putting me in handcuffs, right? So, praise the Lord. We're good. Uh, the United States and the Bill of Rights was expressly lobbied by Baptists because the Baptists knew that if it were not for the Bill of Rights, they would continue to be persecuted in the newly formed Union of the United States. So, beloved, the religious who don't have a relationship with Jesus will always be envious of those who do because they, like Cain, desire to be justified by their good works instead of the sacrifice of the Lamb. You know the story of Cain in Genesis 4, right? Cain, man, he was a good guy. He worked hard. But when it came right down to it, he did not want to go to his brother and just get the sacrifice God offered. He says, Cain, just do what I tell you, and it's all good. Obey. He wouldn't do it. He's like, man, I worked awful hard on my crops. I'm bringing my crops. 
Well, God says, I don't want your crops. I'm doing something here with this sacrificial story, and you need to work with it, man. And that's kind of what it was like for Paul. As he goes to these synagogues, they're like, hey, man, we're Jews. This is our heritage. This is our culture. My daddy was a Jew. My granddaddy was a Jew. My great-great-daddy was a, granddaddy was a Jew. I mean, this is, this is how we roll. This is our heritage. And Paul's like, that's fine. But Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. There was not any more, anyone any more Jewish than Paul. But at the end of the day, salvation doesn't come through works. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, who did all the work for us on the cross. If we could work our way to heaven, then Jesus wouldn't have come and died on the cross, said Paul. And says the gospel. That is what the Bible teaches. So point four, Jason's relationship with Paul and his ministry team led him into persecution. Now wait a minute, Brian. This is going the wrong direction. I thought this was all about being happy and and loving God, loving people. Well, it is. But the Jews, which believed not, verse five, moved with envy, and they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they fought, or when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, "These that have turned the world upside down." Are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and all and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying <clears throat> that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. Now isn't it interesting how similar this is to what we already read in Philippi? All of a sudden these people get real patriotic. And get real legal, and they're like, hey, you know what? We love Caesar all of a sudden, and we need these guys to go to jail because they're causing problems. They're saying there's someone that's more important than Caesar. And, well, they are, and we covered that last week as well. And it's interesting that they said this. They said, you know what? These that have turned the world upside down have come here also. You know what? Even the view is upside down and backwards. You know what these guys were really doing? They weren't turning the world upside down. They were actually taking the world and putting it right side up. They were fixing it. They weren't destroying it. Beloved, you need to take it. We, not you, we, I, we need to take a lesson. Because I promise you, I don't, want, I don't like making a lot of promises. But, you know, you got to be pretty blind not to see what's coming. There's coming a day when your attempt to turn the world right side up is going to be characterized as turning the world upside down, right? And if you don't see that, then you're blind. You, I mean, it's obvious. And so you need to really be keen on that. So you know what you should do is you should back off and you should quit. You should go home with your tail between your legs. Of course not. You should have love, an unbelievable love, an incredible amount of charity, a supernatural amount of charity so that you can keep going. Now notice again what Paul does. He does the same thing here that he did at Philippi. He makes a deal. He sees Jason. Poor Jason, man. They go to his house. You know, they show up at his door. It's like a BLM ride at his house. They come to him, and they're like, Hey, you're a bad guy. We're going to, what's that called? We're going to cancel you, Jason. And uh, you're no longer valid. And, uh, and we're going to, you, you are with these people. We're going to mark you as hanging out with these people that turn the world upside down. Paul sees this and is like, oh, here we go again. Now, they got a good start. 
He's planted a lot of seed. You know, and again, I, now i got to be careful. I know when I'm out of my league. In, in Cass County, I'm out of my league when I start talking about farming. <laughs> so I don't know anything. I'm going to say that right up front. Not like some of you all know. But I'll say this. you got to have some fertilizer, don't you? If you want things to grow. You know, sometimes that difficulty, a little manure, just makes the crop grow stronger. And, uh, man, so God, God uses this. And, and uh, Jason is now facing persecution just because he identified with the, the gospel and the message that Paul was preaching. Christians who lead godly lives, this is, a, this is a promise, will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, in America, it's usually a light affliction, right? But we know, I mean, we know, not about people, we know people that come here, right? People we associate with in other places. And these people aren't playing. We've sat in services with these people, the persecuted and the persecutor, and we've seen that God has reconciled people who once persecuted, and then the next thing you know, they turn and they love their brother. Why? Because of the gospel, the love of Christ changed their heart. It was the way they suffered. It was the, it was the God, goodness of God that led them to repentance. It's amazing the power of God among the persecuted. And uh, somewhere around here, I have a document of just all the stories that we heard. I just recorded all these stories that we heard in India, in a persecuted place in Orissa, where all these people came to Christ, not just the persecuted, but the persecutors. It was amazing, the story and the, and the forward progress. It was like the Philippian jailer story over and over again. So how would you like your testimony to be one that turns the world upside down? Anybody want that? I do. I do. I kind of want that testimony. I think that's awesome. I'll tell you this. You know what? They, even in Philippi, here in Thessalonica, it's amazing how the adversaries get the story right. They know that there's one Jesus, and he is the king, and they got the message. They understood what Paul was saying. There's a guy named Jesus. He's a Jew. He's the king of the Jews, and he's competing with Caesar. I mean, they got it down. They just haven't received it. So the communist Chinese, though, they know that. Mao, knows, Mao knew that. He knows that, that Christ is the opiate of the people, had to get rid of that. Pol Pot knew that. Islamic nations understand that. When ISIS was let loose a few years ago, man, I tell you what, they were slaughtering Christians left and right. Why? Because they are scared. They are envious of the gospel. Prime Minister Modi knows that. And that's why imprisoning and killing Christians is going on to this very day. So, beloved, are we, are we willing to identify with Christ even if it brings trouble to our home? Jason was. There could be a day when it's not just hypothetical. So you won't see in the news some of the things that are going on today. But, man, if you can imagine with me what went on in Afghanistan just, a, just in, within this last 12 months to our brothers and sisters in Christ who were left behind. There's no escape. You know, for them, many of them are absent from the body and presence of the Lord. I don't know everything that's going on, but I know it was ugly. I don't know. Maybe you know more than I do. That kind of got blacked out, didn't it? Kind of swept under the rug. <clears throat> there was a revival going on in Afghanistan. Beloved, if it doesn't seem just... We just need to understand that God understands what's going on. And, and it is, it, eventually, he will come back. 
The gospel doesn't just include his death and his burial and his resurrection, that, although that is obviously the meat and potatoes. It also includes his soon return. He will come back, and we need to be ready for him when he comes to rule and reign and reward those that followed him faithfully. Point B, and we'll be done here quickly. Real relationships continue to prosper no matter their problems. In Acts 17, 10 through 15, Paul makes a deal. He says, look, you, you set Jason free, and uh, I'm out of here, man. I won't trouble your town anymore. And that's exactly what happens. It says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul away and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than the Thessal- those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also honorable women, which were Greeks of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. We almost see, again, a repeat, again, of the same story. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they, and they connected Paul, or I'm sorry, they conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and received a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed. And they departed. They departed then at that point. So we see what was happening in them. Of course, Paul goes to Mars Hill. Eventually, they all connect back up in Corinth, and the party keeps going on. This, the, church, the Bereans are sharp, right? They're more fluent. They're, they're obviously very literate. They're studying everything that the Apostle Paul's preaching. They're, they're checking him out. They're making sure his story's right. They're convinced fully, fully persuaded, and they're wise enough to say, man, they're coming after you, pal. You're going to go this way, and, and by yourself, we're going to split you off, and your team's going to stay why did they stay? Well, to establish the saints there in Berea so they could continue to learn the word of God. Paul goes to the more fluent Bereans and finishes the great, uh, <clears throat> finds a great reception, I should say, among those in the synagogue because they studied the scriptures daily. Faith will not come without the words of God. You've got to have the words of God. Right now, we're attempting to assemble 10,000 whole Bibles to distribute to Mexico and Central America. And the, prior, the priority of publishing the word in Spanish and Albanian and Chichewa, etc., right, is so important <clears throat> to get the word of God in people's hands so it can get in people's hearts. Reading the word of God so they can be like those Bereans is so important. So I want to task you with something today. Bob, did we get that fixed? Brandy is the cutter. Okay, so I'm not kidding. This is an action item. We need to pray for whoever is working on that cutter out there. It needs to get fixed because we've got 10,000 Bibles to get cut they got a 1,000 laying there right now, ready to go. We can't cut them yet. And so that's not woe is me. It's just a matter of we need to be praying seriously. We need everybody praying that God gives us the wisdom, the understanding, the skill to get that three-blade cutter working as soon as possible so we can get those Bibles where they need to go. Why? Because this is the kind of stuff that happens. Once you get the Word of God in people's hands, revival breaks out. And you can see it. Joe Hendricksman, when he went to Oaxaca, was not planning on making a Bible warehouse distribution center. He was going to do a clinic. The next thing you know, he's making a Bible warehouse distribution center. Why? Because God's doing something down in Oaxaca, down in um, uh, Chiapas, and in Central America. I mean, it's amazing. Why? Because people are hungry for the words of God in their language. Point C, relationships impact the planet. Real relationships impact the planet. In verses 7 through 8 in 1 Thessalonians, you kind of get to the end of the story. Just like last week, I got to the end of the story and I took you to Philippians chapter 1. You can do the same thing in Thessalonica. You can go to the, the epistle of 1 Thessalonians, look at verse 7, 
See what happened. It says, so, that, so ye, Paul writes in his introduction, so ye <clears throat> were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. These people that Paul had a short visit to, that Jason's house got ripped up, starting all this turbulence and tribulation, before it's all over, Paul says, you know what, you guys were examples to everyone in that region of Macedonia and everyone in the region of Achaia. So that's basically Greece and modern-day Albania, that whole peninsula. They were influencing them, but not just that. Right? This got contagious. Right? The guys who turned the world upside down end up going to Thessalonica, and then Paul says this in verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. These people were so impactful and so effective, they didn't need the Apostle Paul because they took the message and they reproduced it and they took it where it needed to go on time. The impact of real relationships leads, uh, leaves God's thumbprint on cultures and communities and cities and countries around the world. That's why 50 years later, 60 years later, we can go back to the Sawi people, and, and guess what? They're still preaching the gospel. Why? Because the God, Jesus Christ showed up in 1962. The culture was penetrated, and Jesus Christ is still working in that culture. Things change, because what people believe changes the culture. It changes what they do. It changes the behavior. It's not about behavioral change. It's about heart transformation. It's about life transformation. The behavior just comes automatically. Since the first days of HBF, God has connected us to key men whom God uses to expand the influence of Christ around the world. I can start with Jeff Barker, who hosted our first sent one, Harold Hatman, in the early years of HBF. I could talk about David Pierce, who's with us today. He planted a church among the refugees in KCK, uh, who end up going all over the place. Places like Burma, Nepal, India, we've been to those places. Uh, the partnerships with Doug and Bethany Pearson, Raja Niapani, Pradeep Lima, Krishadas Erla, Rotten Ganger, Kale Horvath, Doug Howie, Dan Jalowick, Lee Carter, Andrew Wong, Brian Berry, Brian Clark, Joe Hendricksman, Lee Carter, I said him. Uh, you know, we could go on. Cody Walker, who do we want to talk about? There's more. Uh, there's so many. God is so good. And you guys, that's not even talking about everything he's doing through Word First. From you, the word is going out all over the world. And it takes real commitment to the Great Commission. And real commitment to the Great Commission will attract people to you because folks can see Christ in you. Real commitment to the Great Commission will attract people to you because folks can see Christ in you. The world's a big place. If it was up to me to reach the world, we'd be in trouble. If it was up to you to reach the world, we'd be in trouble. But somehow Jesus uses all of us, and his heart's bigger than any one person, and he allows us all to get involved and carry the gospel to the next, to the next culture, to the next community, to the next city, to the next country. So let me give you some practicum before we leave today, because I've got to be done. This is what we can do today. Not next week. Well, some of it's next week. But today, there's some things you can do. We can pray. You can pray about the opportunities that are right before our church right now. So this, is, this isn't talking about some hypothetical thing. You know, I like to, uh, sometimes I'm out here in the stratosphere, flying at a high level, big concepts, that's who I am, right? Well, let's get this down where the rubber meets the road. So you can pray right now about what's before us. Church in the Park is right around the corner, June 5th. Next Sunday, no, not next Sunday, two Sundays from now, We'll be taking it to the streets. Pat Lee, 
Is, is he in the house, Pat Lee? Wave your hand. There you go. He's waving his hand there like you don't care. He's from the 80s. And so, yeah, Pat's going to lead us out. Maybe your ABF pastor's going to lead you out, whatever. We're going to go out, and we're going to invite people. It's just that simple. We're going to go to the streets. We're going to encourage people. We're going to find people that don't want to hear the gospel. They're like, could you leave that at home, please? And we're going to be kind to them. We're going to love them. We're going to be gracious to them. We're not going to argue with them. We're not going to get intimidated. We're not going to be mad at them. We're going to just love them and just leave them some Jesus and move on to the next people. After three times, we'll move on, right? Three opportunities and move on and find the people that want to be reached because God's got them out there. You'll be shocked how many people actually want to hear what you got to offer. Amen. I hear Steve over there saying amen. Church in the park, it's coming up. Weather permitting, be praying that the park will be open. Literally, I need everyone just praying for that. It's supposed to be open on the 31st, but you all know they're tearing up the the the, uh, the lakes and the pools all disassembled, and they need to get all that. To, I don't care about the pool, but they need the roads open, and uh, they need us to be in there. I'm trusting God that it'll be there. So uh, invite people to that. Just invite people. Be ready to witness to someone. Share the gospel. VBS coming up June 20th through the 24th. You can get with Chris. We need workers. We need to invite people. We need to register. Get your kids registered ASAP. Fourth of July is right after that. Spark in the park. Man, that is a great time. That's a great time to be intentional about your gospel outreach. You need to come out to that. Even if you're not into like sharing your faith, just come out and enjoy the time. It's good to hang out. Uh, you'll get to hear. If Vicky comes out again, she'll sing the whole Star Spangled Banner. I mean, from beginning to end, and uh, that'll be good. We'll do some giveaway. We do trivia out there. You know, we do. You know. Fourth of July trivia and stuff. It's a good time. And uh, it's a great time just to get to know people and, and uh, share our faith. Uh, have, the, have them tell us that, uh, hey, you can have your Jesus, but please don't pass him around the park. We did it. We've gone through all that too. So, yeah, we'll do that again. That's fun. And then July 9th uh, is uh, Faith and Family Day at the K. And I just want to take a spot here and clear off a moment and say, look, you know, in the past we've done this, and I think I've missed the boat. I've always focused on, you know, we need counselors, we need counselors. Let's be counselors. Let's go out and share the gospel, which is what we should be doing. And I welcome everyone to do that. But this year, I think, you know what? This is a great opportunity. This game is at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and it's not going to be late. Like, it's usually late, and it's kind of a hassle, you know, because you're getting out of there late. I never stay for the whole concert because i got to get back and preach. I don't want to be out there listening to Matthew West or whatever. So, so <clears throat> I do, but I don't have time. All right, so this year, it's 3 o'clock. So we got we got time to tailgate. We got time to do the game right. We got time to enjoy Crowder. He's coming. I'm like, man, just serve it up on a platter. God has. You know, not not everyone in the United States does these events. This is only one of two. Kansas City is a unique ball club, frankly. Dayton Moore is a unique manager, or whatever he is, general manager, and and he's all in on letting this go on. This guy, Scott Dawson, that's preaching, he's the real deal. He preaches the gospel straight. Uh, Pat and I went up and heard him, uh, you know, address the, the pastors and what have you a few weeks ago. And, dude, I was like, he's like preaching the paint off the wall. I mean, he was, he was on target. I was like, wow, this guy is serious. Praise the Lord. Every time he preaches, it's, it's a home run. He, is, he loves God and he loves people. All right, so what, what am I, what's my ask? Here's my ask. So I think Luke, Luke, have you, where's Luke at? Have you done the survey thing? You have? I haven't seen it. I need to check my email. Okay. And don't be like me and not check your email. Check your email. And Luke has sent you a survey because we're, we're trying to figure out what, what bundle of tickets to buy. Last year we bought a bundle of 20 
This year we want to buy a bundle of 40. And we want to, I'd like to see us, like, like my family, if I took me and Amy or the kids, all four of us, and I would like to invite a couple more people. Not everybody, not my buddies that I know, but people like my neighbors or whoever, somebody in the community that I want them to hear Scott Dawson preach the gospel. Now, I also like the free tickets. If you're a counselor, you can get a free ticket and set up the nosebleeds and all that, right? So that's cool. But I'm actually looking at doing something a little better than that if I'm going to invite somebody because I don't want to take them to the nosebleeds. When you get my age, you'd like to kind of roll in, not go so far up, you know. So, and uh, and so, so, so please answer that survey. Pray about, seriously, pray about the opportunity to literally just go. There's really four things you can do at this event. You can literally, if you're like, Brian, I am not comfortable. You, Dude, you really take me out of my comfort zone. I am not ready for this place. This place intimidates me. You scare me. Okay, cool. Just relax. All you got to do, all you got to do is show up with somebody. Just go and invite somebody. And then when, the, when Scott Dawson gets up, you can just go and, and let Scott do the work. And then some of us and some others will be counselors. It's that easy. Just go. Maybe buy someone's ticket and go. Buy your ticket and someone else's. That would be the first thing you could do. That's so easy to be intentional. Second thing you could do is if you want to be a counselor, man, we're still doing that like we always do. We'll get you trained. See Pat. He'll give you the details. We'll get you connected and directed. And, man, that's a great time. Every year. Last year we led some folks to Christ. I mean, every year we've had people baptized in this church that got led to Christ at that event. It's excellent. And then... Third thing is they need, like, physical help. Some of you guys are like hosses. You're like, man, I want to move something. Well, then you know what? They, they need the stage set up. they got to do it in record time. And so, uh, again, CPAT, he'll get you connected and directed. We'll get you signed up to, to like, move, set up the stage and all that because they got to get that set up and tore down after the game and all that. And then, Well, what's the fourth thing? Well, I forgot. Um, so, <laughs> but there was a fourth thing. Uh, but you need to pray. You do need to pray. You need to pray. And, uh, and, and, and just ask the Lord uh, to provide for this event. If folks, if folks know our relationship with Christ is real, man, they will, they will want to be in on it. So invite folks to this event. Invite folks to all these events. Just be intentional. Just realize that at HBF right now for the next couple months, during the fun time of the year, summer's coming, we kind of have some fun stuff going on, Right? We do some more intense stuff. We'll get back to making Bibles in mass, you know, back in the Bible conference, in the vision conference. That's all coming back around the corner too. But for this summer, we're kind of having some fun. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, all you got to do is invite people to join in. You'll be surprised at the responses that will come if, if we are intentional. But we've got to decide to be intentional. Don't delegate it to me. Don't delegate it to somebody else. Pray about it yourself. What will God have you to do? And so, if folks know our relationship with Christ is real, it's only a matter of time before it will penetrate the culture because it's penetrated the heart. And it's only a matter of time when the community that they're living in is changed, the culture is changed, the country is changed, and literally the gospel spreads around the world. That little church in Thessalonica went around the world. Beloved, you think, well, God couldn't do anything from Harrisonville or Kansas City, but you know what? We're the trade route of America, guys, right here in the middle of the United States. All, the, all roads lead to here. And all you got to do is get busy about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather. I pray a blessing the reading and the hearing of your word. Thank you for uh, what we've been able to consider.